Well, summer has officially passed, and we are into the fall and into uh, uh, a new season, new school season, a new, uh, a new series. We've, we've begun today uh, a, a look at the book of Philippians, a, uh, a series in inexhaustible and inextinguishable joy, and a desire that God would uh, work in our hearts uh, a sense of that joy as we uh, look to him and ask him to do in our lives what, uh, what only he can do. Uh, today we're talking about gratitude, and uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but gratitude is something that uh, is kind of uh, popular and trending right now. Um, uh, strangely, because thank you notes are incredibly uh, uh, becoming less and less common in our society, uh, Jimmy Fallon has made uh, thank you notes kind of a thing again. He will take, uh, once a week, he'll, he'll uh, take time to write thank you notes, but uh, thank you notes to um, completely uh, strange and random things. He'll, he'll give thanks for the second, uh, the second L in the name Lloyd, because if you didn't have that L, it would just be Lloyd. Uh, it gives thanks for, for different things like that, but it's, it's been uh, a reminder to people that uh, thankfulness is a good thing. Uh, you can also see it on, on social media where, with people's uh, 30 days of gratitude posts and uh, hashtag uh, grateful and, and different ways that people are trying to uh, express gratefulness and to uh, be more thankful in their lives. Uh, you, you see that happening in a number of different places in our culture, but it didn't just come from nowhere. Uh, it, the, the, the recent trend in popularity of thankfulness came from, I believe, uh, a number of recent studies that have talked about just how important being grateful is. Um, one of those studies, in, in 2015, there was a school psychologist by the name of Jeffrey Froh. He got together a team of researchers and wanted to uh, study the impact of gratefulness in children. I interestingly, he uh, found that grateful children were consistently happier, uh, were physically healthier, and actually academically stronger. It was strange to me that ev they even reported fewer headaches, fewer stomach aches, and uh, fewer runny noses. Uh, that's just with the children. Uh, medical research has also been done. Uh, medical research has shown that gratitude lowers blood pressure. It improves your immunity. Uh, it uh, reduces heart inflammation, and it provides for a more restful sleep. Gratitude has an impact in people's lives. Uh, there was another study done at the University of Georgia where researchers were trying to figure out what makes a marriage successful? What, what makes spouses feel uh, a sense that their marriage is, is, is great and satisfying and, and they're appreciative of it? And they asked all, there were I think 476, 468 couples that they interviewed and they asked them all kinds of questions about, about communication and finances and all kind of the the classic questions that you would ask of marital couples and trying to figure out something about them. And they were trying to figure out, is there anything that correlates with satisfaction in the marriage? 
And they said that the most consistent, significant predictor of happy marriages was the degree of gratitude expressed. How thankful. Is, is there a sense that I am, uh, am being, I, I'm, I'm appreciated, a sense that there is uh, thankfulness and gratefulness being communicated in the marriage? If there was, that correlated with a sense of satisfaction, that they were happier marriages. John Henry Jowett said that gratitude is a vaccine, an antitoxin, and an antiseptic. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's all of those things, but, but I think he's on to something in the recognition that gratefulness changes us. It strengthens us. It, it makes an impact in, in our lives, in our relationships. It is a powerful force in our lives. The thing that none of those studies do, however, is tell us how to get it. How do we develop it? How does a person who does not feel very grateful become someone who is more grateful? And so as we uh, turn to God's word to, this morning, I, I'm, I'm, we're, as we turn there, it's a question that I believe our text answers. It, it's a, a theme that I believe our passage addresses. Uh, we are in a, a, a beginning a series on uh, the book of Philippians, and it, it is uh, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was imprisoned in Rome, wrote to the church in Philippi, and despite his circumstances, it is a letter that exudes joy. It, it's a letter that is filled with a sense of profound optimism and uh, profound uh, gratefulness, as we'll see today. And the thing about Paul's gratefulness was because it wasn't in uh, the gratefulness of happy circumstances. It wasn't written by a guy who was uh, living in sunshine and, and, and happy days. Because it was penned in such desperate circumstances, it is... Uh, a gratefulness that we can enter into. There, there are actual principles that he will, he will uh, give us an insight into of how God seeks to build uh, a grateful heart into those who call on his name. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 1, and I'll read from verse 1 down to verse 11. So Philippians 1, verses uh, 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be 
pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. Now, I want to encourage you from this passage with three ways that God seeks to build gratitude in our lives. There are ways that we can actually grow in gratefulness as uh, we uh, submit ourselves to what God would seek to do in our hearts. Usually our view of gratefulness is something that rises and falls on our circumstances. Something that we feel really grateful because something really great happened in our life today and tomorrow if something really lousy happens, then gratefulness is out of reach. But we can actually grow in gratitude when we find hope in what God has done. When we get our focus off of just what's happening in our daily circumstances and when our focus is instead on the work that God has done uh, in our lives uh, through faith in Christ. Now, you may have noticed when I was reading how Paul expresses his gratefulness. Starting in verse 3, he writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So Paul's every remembrance of this church in Philippi, imperfect as they were, imperfect as we will see, every time he remembered them, he was filled with gratefulness. Every prayer about them began in thanks to God for them. It's a nice sentiment about them until you stop to think about the situations that Paul was in and you think, Paul shouldn't have been that grateful. People aren't normally that grateful when they're in the kind of circumstances that Paul was in. Uh, Paul was at this point, probably about AD 61, 62. He's, he's chained to uh, Roman guards, imprisoned in Rome. He's uh, experiencing the loss of freedom. He's experiencing for the, the, what it means to, although he's had an elite background, impeccable educational credentials, the kind of person that's, that was used to walking around and having people look up to him, having people honor him. Now he bears the shame of someone who is called criminal. And so there's all of those circumstances that, that Paul is right in the midst of. Then he could have easily become despondent looking at the circumstances beyond himself. He could have been discouraged looking at the decay that was taking place, moral decay in the Roman Empire. He could have become discouraged looking at the persecution of Christians in the early church. He could have become negative as he thought about the false teaching and heresy that was uh, continually battling these young fledgling churches in the, in the uh, first century. All of those things could have led him to have been very negative, very down, very discouraged, and really despairing of his circumstances. And yet, as you read this letter, you don't get any hint of that. It's not like he's ignoring the, the negative in his life, and we'll see that as we go through the letter, some very specific examples of what is happening and all is not right. And yet, Paul's faith in God gave him a confidence 
It, it gave him a sense of gratitude in what God had accomplished. And it's a reminder to us that gra- gratitude doesn't rest on comfortable. It's got to be found somewhere else. You see this in verse 1 already. Paul will recognize the privilege of ministering as God's servant. He, he, he is grateful for this opportunity that he has. He, he recognizes himself as a servant. When he thinks of the Philippians, he calls them not servants, but saints. It's a recognition that because of their faith in Christ, they have been cleansed and purified, set apart by God. And I think to myself, anytime you find yourself in a, in a setting where you recognize, no, I'm a servant and God's people are, are saints, you have an opportunity al- already to have a, have a right perspective and develop a sense of gratitude for, uh, for what God is doing. Then in, in his greeting in verse 2, he points to the grace and the peace that we receive from God. It, it's a, a common uh, theme of Paul. In most of his letters, he opens up this way, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here the order is probably significant. It is grace first and then peace, or it is the grace that becomes the basis for our peace. The idea is that the undeserved blessing of God's favor in our lives, the gift of Jesus Christ, then becomes the basis for peace with God. And that peace with God becomes the basis for peace with others. Then in verse 6, he expands on this when he writes, He began a good work in you. He's referring to salvation, all of the blessings that accompany it. He's responding to all of the things that we receive from God through faith in Christ. And he refers to it as a good work that God has begun in our lives. And as you go through this, you recognize that at every step of his life, he is focusing on what God has done, focusing on what God has accomplished, focusing on what God has given to him and how he has blessed him. Gratefulness rests on what God has done. In fact, in Paul's case here, it is that focus on what God has done, the good that God has done in his life, that gives him a sense of, hope and expectation of what God will do. It gives him a sense of, uh, of, of excitement of uh, what, what God will accomplish. Because he could have just focused on his circumstances and drawn completely different expectations. Could have just looked around and said, boy, this is bad and it's probably going to get worse. But instead, he focuses on what God has accomplished and has faith and trust in uh, what God would continue to do. Notice what he says here in verse 6. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's talking, as we said, about their salvation. That through faith in Christ, they have received forgiveness. They have been given acceptance. They have friendship with God. They have peace with him. All of those things have been accomplished in their lives. And and there is evidence that this is God at work in them. And knowing that God has begun something, they know that God will complete it. That their salvation doesn't rest, didn't start with them, and so it doesn't rest on them. That they can trust and find rest 
in the goodness of a faithful God. Sometimes people approach God and they think that their salvation, their standing before him is based on things that they do, based on how good they are. And, And that doesn't develop any gratefulness. In fact, it creates a sense of, of uncertainty. Because if, how, if, if what has happened in my life is a result of my performance, then maybe I was just lucky. Maybe I've, maybe I've been put, put together a good string of, of, of wins, but I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Paul doesn't rest his confidence there. His confidence is in what God has accomplished, what God has begun. Salvation belongs to him. And because salvation belongs to him, he can rest in a faithful God who will bring it to conclusion. Paul couldn't be sure of a lot of things. He couldn't be sure whether he'd get out of prison. He couldn't be sure whether he'd see the Philippians again. He certainly couldn't be sure whether the decay in the Roman Empire would turn around. But he could be sure that if God had started to work in a person's life, that he would continue. He would complete it, not because of the person's faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness. That's what he does. He completes the work that he begins. Serving in the church, I have, I have many, many privileges. I, I get to see people at their best, um, mostly on a Sunday morning. And I also have the privilege of seeing people at their worst sometimes. Uh, Crises hit, uh, things happen, some of the layers get peeled back, and, and you, can see, uh, you can see some of the worst of God's people as we all recognize that there is abiding sin living in our hearts, and it would only be natural that we would see some of that abiding sin at times. And seeing that could make a person cynical. Seeing that could make a person negative. If you focused on the circumstances and not on what God was accomplishing. Because as I recognize that God has started something in a person's life, I feel a sense of hope and expectation. And I, I don't get thrown off when I, when I see what I already believe to be true. We are all sinners <laughs> Uh, there, there is no one who has arrived that we are, are still stumbling and falling, but if God has begun a good work, God will carry that work through to completion. He can be trusted to do that, and it gives me hope wherever I see God's finger, fingerprints over a person's life. Wherever I see signs that he has begun something, I know that he'll complete it, and it makes me grateful to him makes me thankful for what he's accomplishing. Gratefulness anticipates the, God that, the good that God will do. So when we focus on what God has done, it brings a gratefulness. But Paul's God focus gave him a gratitude that overcame his circumstances. It gave him something that went beyond uh, a, a, a sense of, of some of the discouragement. But as strong as Paul's faith was, I don't think it was strong enough. I don't think it was strong enough to 
to bring about some of the, the things that we'll see this morning and some of the things that we see in this letter. Because it was never God's plan that we would, uh, we would be strong enough to just live the Christian life on the basis of our faith in him. Even the Apostle Paul needed other people, needed the help and support of believers in Christ. And his example challenges us to be a partner, just, not just a spectator. Uh, to resist the temptation to kind of sit on the sidelines and instead engage, partner, join, connect. God develops gratefulness as we enter into relationships with others, as we engage as partners rather than spectators. I want you to see this coming out in, uh, as, as you look at verse 3. Notice how Paul thanked God every time he remembered the Philippians. We saw that. And we saw in verse 4 how they helped him to pray with joy. But when you get down to verse 5, he gives the reason for that praying with joy, all that gratefulness. He says, it's because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partnership is the word that we typically translate as fellowship. It's it, it's a word that means fellowship, but it mean, it, it's a word with teeth. It's an active, engaged, uh, partnering, joining in, connecting, uh, that, that, that kind of uh, depth to it as a word. A related word gets used in verse 7, where Paul writes, You were all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This word partakers, based on the same root, it's, it's engaging, getting involved, getting a part of it, joining in, participating, not holding back, not sitting on the sidelines. How this got worked out with Paul and, and the church in Philippi is that when Paul first went to the church, uh, well, he, there wasn't a church. There was a, a, a gathering of people studying the Old Testament, uh, Lydia and, and uh, some, some other uh, some other uh, people there, and he went and he shared with them the good news of the gospel. He went with them and shared his, his life. He invested himself in them. And as people embraced the good news about Jesus, as they gave themselves to him in repentance and faith, a church was born. Disciples were raised up. Paul invested himself in them. But they weren't passive in the process. The, the, the church in Philippi, the believers there, first when he arrived, he, he, they, they opened their doors to him. They, they welcomed him and, and shared in hospitality. When he left and he was going to head out on, uh, to establish other churches, they could have been uh, disappointed and discouraged that he was leaving them, but instead they sent him off with gifts of support. Then the test came. It's easy to be, uh, to be gracious and generous to someone who is held up with honor. But when he was imprisoned, now he becomes someone that people of, that, that want to be thought well of will distance themselves from. He is now held in shame and the church in Philippi identifies with him. They stand with him. They send people to care for his needs. They send, 
They send gifts of, of food and support to uh, uphold him there. And so there is this deep back and forth. Then when Paul is, is imprisoned, he says in this letter that he's never stopped praying for them. In verse 7, he writes, I hold you in my heart. In verse 8, he says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And what I want you to see is it, it is exactly this kind of, of, of partnering, of connecting, of committing, of joining, of sharing, of doing life together that is at the heart of biblical fellowship. And this was at the heart of Paul's gratitude in the midst of very desperate circumstances. Without it, I don't think Paul would have stood a chance in prison. If it was just him and the Lord, and he had cut himself off from the the strength and the power of biblical fellowship, I don't think even the Apostle Paul would have maintained this gratitude in the midst of his circumstances. His commitment to fellowship gave him strength and filled him with gratitude. And as we've said, the good news is we can still enter into that today. Now, many of you have, but if you've never lived outside of Canada, it's hard for people to recognize, to see how radically uh, individualized, how, how foreign everything that we've just said about b- biblical fellowship and even just connection with others is in our society today. Uh, in Canada, we pay at the pump. We don't talk to people. We don't, we don't pay for gas. We, 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 we pay at the pump. We shop online. Uh, we even have this wonderful thing called uh, an automatic garage door opener so that we can drive straight into our garage, open the door, into our house, and never even have to make eye contact with a neighbor. It's wonderfully convenient. But it has the downside of cutting, of, cutting us off and walling us off from connection, from fellowship, from connecting with other people. And so it's very entirely natural, living in the soup of this culture, then we walk into church and our, our basic default for, for interacting and connecting with the church is the exact same way. And you come to passages like this and it seems foreign. The kind of engagement, the kind of, of partnering, uh, the kind of, 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 of joining and, and interacting. Partners are different. Uh, the kind of partnering we see here, part, partners value things like church membership. Partners make time for serving others. Partners make time for small group fellowship because what we can do when we're seated, seated in rows like this is very limited in terms of the people around us. Partners give generously and sacrificially. They've got some skin in the game. It's, it's not about just what they're doing. It's what we're doing. Spectators are different. They, they keep their distance. Spe- spectators keep to themselves. Spectators never really open up. You've probably noticed this. I, I know in my life I notice this. I notice it every time I... Uh, my relationship to soccer. Every time I watch a Toronto FC game, 
I immediately, there's something about me that I, I will bring out a mental scorecard in my mind and I start critiquing the players, okay? Um, Giovinco's a little slow today. Josie doesn't seem to be completing the plays. Bradley just doesn't seem to be set, setting things up. As soon as I start being a spectator, I start bringing out my scorecard and critiquing the other players. That never happens when I'm actually playing a game of soccer. Because when I actually start playing soccer, I, I'm amazed that I can, I can slowly run up the, run up the, the, the pitch. I, I'm, I'm, when I look at the, my teammates, I am immediately grateful that, to them that they can do anything. Uh, I, I feel a sense of, uh, of gratefulness when I'm engaged because I know how hard it is. I know what's involved. I know what the obstacles are. When I'm sitting at home watching the Toronto FC, I'm, I'm not thinking of any of, those, any of those things. I just got my scorecard and I'm critiquing everybody else. And I see that exact same thing happen in the church. That when you're not engaged, when you're a spectator, it, you can't help but feel a tendency towards negativity. You can't help but bring out that scorecard. And it's as we engage and we get involved, we see what, what the work that's involved, we see all of the, the challenges and the difficulties, and as, as you're there slugging it out, you realize, wow, it's amazing that anything is happening. This is incredible. And, and it gives you a sense of gratefulness for the little steps, the little joys, the little, you can celebrate those, those, those little things that are moving toward God's ultimate purpose. So God develops gratefulness in us as we, as we get in the game, as we get, get engaged, as we get involved. The final help in developing gratefulness comes in verses 9 to 11. There we learn to think process, not just results. And this is probably the, the most difficult of the three for me. Instead of camping on the final product, when we concentrate on the steps, when we see the process, we can slow down, become a little more patient, become a little more, a little more uh, gracious, and become a little more gratefulness, grateful as we uh, see the progress. We develop gratefulness by thinking process, not results. I've seen this as a theme throughout my life, that where there, whatever it is, I will look at the final product and feel a sense of urgency and impatience about that final product. I was like this uh, with potty training. The potty, I, I wanted potty training to be done. I wanted my children to be out of diapers. I wanted... I wanted just to, I, I didn't want to have to clean up messes anymore. I, I didn't want to bring a change of clothes every time there was a play date. Like, I, I just wanted the process to be done. I wanted the final product there. And, and thankfully, uh, my children are now fully potty trained. Uh, <laughs> I'm really grateful for that. If they were here, I'd you know, give them a little cheer. You know, they, they made it through there. But that kind of impatience and focus on just the end product 
is a mindset that I have brought to too many situations. And whenever I bring it, it's something that robs my, my gratitude. It, it's as I slow down and see the process. And, and in this passage in particular, it shows me a, a completely different way of relating to the, the challenges and circumstances in my life. Watch what Paul does. If you look closely, he's praying that the believers in the Philippian church would be mature. That's his end product. He wants them to be mature in Christ. In verse 10, he's praying that they might be pure and blameless. In verse 11, he's praying that they might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And as we'll see as we get into the details of the letter, they weren't pure and blameless. They weren't filled with the fruit of righteousness all the time. There were still significant areas of growth. But he doesn't just expect those things. He doesn't just pull out his scorecard and say, purity? I don't see that yet. Blamelessness? I don't think so. He doesn't just pull out his scorecard with his expectations, but he recognizes that there are steps that one takes to get to purity and blamelessness and the fruit of righteousness. He starts by praying for them. He takes responsibility. He's engaged. He's not a spectator in the process. In verse 9, he prays that their love would grow in knowledge and discernment. He recognizes that's a step. If, if they don't clear this step, they're never going to get over here. It's got it's to start over here. Too often, our love is naive and unthinking. And in the world today, we're not even, it's not even on anybody's radar that love should be discerning, that love should be according to knowledge. Just, we just love. But he's saying, no, there's, there's a discernment that should accompany love. Often we love things that are dangerous to us. Often we love things that aren't worthy of our love. We value things that aren't worthy of our attention. And Paul prays that that would change. Then in verse 10, he realizes that until it does, we won't be able to approve what is excellent. Until we see the beauty in what God calls good, we will never choose it and we will never be drawn to it. We need to have our affections transformed. We need to have our desires reworked. We need to grow a new appetite for righteousness. We need to grow a new thirst for truth. And if we just focus on the final product without praying for and seeking these internal things, we'll never get there. And we'll always live in frustration and ingratitude for God and what he desires to do. As we develop that new thirst for truth and righteousness, our affections are transformed. Only then will we experience the purity he speaks of in verse 10. Only then will we approach the blamelessness for which we were created or be filled with the fruit of righteousness that he talks about in verse 11. And Paul realizes these are things that need to be prayed about. That he realizes he's got a part. Even though he's in prison, he has a role to play. He's dependent on Jesus because, as he says, that kind of righteousness, in verse 11, only comes through Jesus Christ. You don't just work this up. You're not just born with it. 
you call upon God as the one who gives it. He is the one who is faithful. He started it. He can finish it. We rely upon him for every step of it. By breaking down the end goal into a series of steps and recognizing that Jesus was at a part, had, had, had a part in each one of them, it makes him more impatient. It makes him more compassionate. And it makes him more grateful for what God is doing. Just recently, I experienced a word of gratitude. Just a brief word from someone that had just a very deep impact on me. Gave me a sense of motivation. Gave me a sense of power to be someone that most days I'm not. And I've I've reflected on that word of gratitude, and I thought to myself, that one word had, had that impact on my life. How much more do we need to, to express and enjoy the power of gratitude? How much more do my children and your children need to hear and experience the power of our gratitude? How much more do our spouses, our friends, our parents need to feel and experience our gratitude in our lives. Hear us expressing thanks, putting into words things that we value, we appreciate, we notice, we recognize. We need that in our ministries. We need that in our relationships. We need that with our coworkers. And the Word of God declares that that thankfulness doesn't just spring up from nowhere. And if we're hoping that it'll just ride on circumstances, then more often than not, we'll find ourselves in days where the wells run dry. That gratefulness can come as we focus not on the circumstances, not on the ups and downs, but on the incredible work of God that he has done. The things that he has accomplished for us at the cross where a Savior died in the place of guilty sinners, where we recognize the free gifts that we have been given and we recognize how much those gifts cost our Savior. When we look to him with a recognition that he is the one who is good and we owe him all that we have, he's the one who builds gratefulness in our hearts. He helps us not to just focus on, on, on the, end, the end result, to see the process and to see how he's involved in the process. And he's the one who encourages us to put down our clipboards, to get out of our spectator seat and get engaged, get involved in other people's lives, get involved to commit, to be a part of things and to invest that we might see him at work and that we might enjoy the gratitude which almost everyone in the world today is saying has a powerful influence and impact on our lives, our relationships, and all that we seek to do. Let's look to him for strength as we call upon him in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, you know the areas in our life where we tend to act with entitlement. You know where the fuse is short and gratefulness is in short supply. So we pray that you would help us in those areas. Pray that you would change the way we think. Teach us to think more of you and less of ourselves. Train us to think more of what you've done and less about the circumstances we're in. Help us to stop critiquing, start engaging. And show us where you want us to be more invested. We pray for patience with the process because you've been so patient with us. We praise you in Jesus' name.